It's a good opportunity because in 2 Corinthians 12, it says that uh, God's power is perfected in weakness. So this is a good opportunity. We'll just believe that God's power <laughs> will be especially manifest in weakness today. Yeah, so um, I'm excited about this. I'm always excited about series, I guess. I always straight, I'm so excited. But it's, um, for those of you who don't know, we're, we started a series called the Spirit Series. And this is a passion of mine. Uh, and, and I'm going to talk a little bit about um, finding the Spirit in the Bible. If you guys remember at the beginning of the year, uh, if you were here, I talked about our spiritual DNA and the history of our movement and that sort of thing and uh, some of the distinctives of our church. And one of them is that we want to be a people who fully embrace 100% the word and 100% the spirit. So there's this false dichotomy that you get one or the other. So you get the people who are like, oh, I'm in the word, that's spirit stuff, no way. And then you get the spirit people who are like, oh you know, go to seminary uh, and you'll lose your faith or whatever. And they don't, you know what I mean? But I, it's like, why, why do you, you don't have to pick and choose. And so um, I, I, it's a passion of mine. If you come here, you know, I use a lot of scripture. I love the Bible, but even more, I love the spirit. And so today I'm going to be kind of combining both, finding the spirit in the Bible. And today's message is going to be kind of different. You'll see what I mean, but I wanted to start off telling a story about my journey in this, finding the Spirit in the Bible. And um, because I'm hoping this story will sort of help you retain what I'm going to be talking about today uh, or make it more memorable than if I just told you what I was going to tell you later. And so essentially this story goes back to, uh, I'm going to say 2008, 2009. How many of you heard of Randy Clark? Okay, Randy Clark has this book called, how many of you heard of this book? There's more. <laughs> yeah. How many of you have read this book? Really? Cool. Oh, nice. A few of you. Okay. Um, so, I, like, I got, if you, those of you who know my uh, testimony, um, I got rocked in Toronto. I had this, like, season of life-changing encounters with the Holy Spirit, and I really, you know, like, started reading stuff like this. And I got my hands on this book. And for those of you who don't know who Randy Clark is, he's the guy who God used really to actually usher in the revival in Toronto. Uh, if you don't know the story, John and Caroline, he got an impartation from Rodney Howard Brown. Then he goes to Toronto. John Arnott um, invites him, and then the rest is history. Holy Spirit comes. It's crazy. So this book is kind of a, it's a neat book because he talks about the theology of impartation, but then he talks about the history of Toronto, and then um, he also talks about uh, just some of the testimonies that came out of the revival, like Heidi Baker and stuff. But anyway, um, all that to say, I'm reading this book, and I come across this, like, it, it, it's funny how the Lord speaks to you and how it's kind of, like, seems sort of incidental, but I, I came across this thing right up front, um, Randy Clark. Can, can you skip to it? I realize I have it out of order, the quote. Randy Clark, and I found the quote this morning. I was just going to tell you what happened, but... Listen to this intriguing, it intrigued me, this, this sort of incidental thing he says. He says, I'm indebted to Dr. Gordon Fee, who brought to my attention, I should say, that the Apostle Paul's most foundational doctrine was the experience of the Spirit as the basis for the certainty of one's salvation. 
The basis for assurance of one's salvation is the realization of God's empowering presence in one's life. This is even more foundational than justification by grace through faith. Now, that may, maybe doesn't strike you like it struck me when I first read it, but I was like, what? Even more foundational than justification by grace through faith. That's like the crux of the Protestant Reformation. But you know, the funny thing is I actually thought about it. I'm like, I think that might be true. <laughs> There's way more scriptures about the Holy Spirit as the basis of your salvation than justification by grace through faith. He says that once or twice. The, but he, how many times he talks about the Spirit as the foundation of your salvation? Like, and I was like, whoa. Um, I think Randy Clark quoted Gordon Fee twice in this book saying kind of similar things. I'm like, I got to check this guy out. Like, you know, just out of curiosity, if anything else, because I knew he was like an academic scholar and that sort of thing. But it was, timing's important. So I didn't really feel that was the timing, but I always had it in the back burner. I'm going to check out this Gordon Fee guy, okay? So fast forward a few years later. Um, this is in 2012 now. And I'm at Bethel School Supernatural Ministry. And uh, the, whole, the Lord speaks to me and he says, I want you to go through the New Testament and pick out every single scripture on the Holy Spirit, copy and paste it for purposes of getting to know the Spirit more, but also like his, his personality, who he is, that sort of thing, um, and, and praying, uh, all that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, so I was listening to the Bible, and while I was listening, I was reading uh, the Bible at the same time, and I just, when I'd come across the Spirit scripture, I'd copy and paste it. I'm telling you this for a reason. You're probably like, what are you doing? Anyway, so, so this is kind of funny. For those of you, I, I read the NIV. Um, how many of you read the NIV? Am I like the only one? Okay. <laughs> oh, wow, most of you. Okay. So we're in good company because that's like what I pretty much always use, you might have noticed. I kind of grew up on it, okay? My mom bought me my first, essentially first Bible. Uh, and uh, anyway, so I kind of grew up on it uh, after I was saved in 2001. And so that was my Bible of choice. That often happens, doesn't it? The translation you grew up with is what you use. So anyway, if you don't know this, the last time it was uh, revised was 1984. So a lot of people kind of know the 84 version. And that's what I grew up on. But then in 2011, a major revision happened, which is good, right? That happens with translations. A major revision but how many of you know, like, when you're, when you're comfortable and you know a certain translation, you don't want a new translation. <laughs> you want to stick with what you know, right? And so I was very reluctant. I was like, oh, this new translation, no way. I like this old one. So it's funny because when it first uh, happened, how many of you heard of BibleGateway.com? Okay, cool. If you don't, it's a free resource. Any translation, essentially, uh, you can read. And so what, what, was, what was happening is I was listening to the Bible and reading Bible Gateway, but they had an option. You could choose the 84 version or the new version. So I was going through the 84 version, picking out the Spirit's texts, okay? And the funny thing happened, and this is totally must have been the Lord. At a certain point, Bible Gateway took the 84 version off, so I had no choice. And I was in the middle of Romans, and I'm like, oh, I guess I have no choice. I'm going to have to transition to the 2011 version. But it was actually nice because it turned out the audio I was listening to was also the 2000. Uh, it's a long story. It's essentially the same version. So I was like, oh, this works out well. But I start, probably as a function of me looking for spirit texts, 
like scriptures on the Holy Spirit, I started noticing there are way more Holy Spirit scriptures in the new translation. Way more. I'll give you an example. You guys, if you've come here, know that I'm like a huge fan of the apostolic prayers. If you don't know what that is, it's essentially the prayers in the Bible. So here's an example. This is how Paul starts his prayer in Colossians. There's the 84 version. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, like, um, I don't know about you, but whenever I read that, I'm like, what the heck is spiritual wisdom and understanding? Like, what, like, you know, like, what is this, some kind of esoteric, abstract concept, spiritual wisdom? Like, how many of you, when you see that, you're like, what does that even mean? You know, it's funny, I, I, uh, I was uh, actually in Toronto teaching at the School of Ministry the other day, and uh, um, what I teach when they invite me there is life in the Spirit. And so I was kind of, I, I often will show them this contrast and say, okay, um, what's your definition of spiritual? What does spiritual mean? And this last time, just a few days ago, there's probably seven or eight answers. Every single one was different. So if I asked you guys, my guess would be there's, what, 45, 50 of you? We get 50 different definitions of spiritual because it means nothing. It can mean anything, and therefore it means nothing. It means whatever you want it to mean, essentially. Have you ever heard of the the phrase, I'm spiritual but not religious? Yeah, that's a popular thing to say these days. Um, When I was a grad student, my office mate was... uh, for years, was an adamant atheist, and we we're, we're pretty good friends, but she didn't get me, because <laughs> that was the time when I was having these crazy encounters with God, and she, she, like, she just, like, was curious, you know, because, like, she, we were friends, so she's like, okay, you're kind of cool, but you're into this weird stuff, you know, so anyway, we're having, she was asking me questions one day, and we're having this conversation, she's like, well, you know, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, and I say, I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, so what does that mean? <laughs> Fortunately, she was honest. She, she actually, she hesitates. She's like, I don't know. <laughs> but I don't blame her because what does spiritual mean? You know, it, it can mean anything. So anyway, um, here's just, so come across to, in the 2011 version, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the capital S spirit gives. And I'm like, that makes way more sense. And I like that a lot more (laughs) because he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And this is just one example, okay? So I started noticing this when I was going through the Bible. I'm like, man, there's a lot more scriptures on the Holy Spirit than the 84 version. This is awesome. It opens up a whole new, um, like, I don't know, door of understanding the Holy Spirit when you have this many, like a whole, I'm going to talk about this more later, but a whole bunch of more scriptures on it. So anyway, fast forward a few years. I finally feel to get these books by Gordon Fee that Randy Clark, if you remember, referenced in his book. And I had no idea, uh, really at the time, but this one, God's Empowering Presence, he, this guy is like a world-renowned New Testament scholar, like across denominations. He's really just well-respected, um, and his, his area of expertise is textual criticism, which doesn't really matter, other than to say a lot of people highly respect this guy. Like, he wrote an amazing, one of the most famous commentaries in 1 Corinthians, Philippians, First and Second Thessalonians. I didn't know this at the time. But he's also Pentecostal. And he's the most well-known pneumatologist, meaning the person who studies the Holy Spirit. 
And this book here, God's Empowering Presence, is almost a thousand pages. And you know what it is? It's a commentary. He goes through every single scripture on the Holy Spirit in Paul's letters from the Greek. He shows the Greek, translates it, and says, you know, and comments on it. Uh, exegesis is called. And, I, and so I get this, and then and think about what the Lord had me do. He had me do the same thing, right? Go through the New Testament, pick out every scripture, and then there's this like going way deeper from a New Testament Greek scholar on these texts on the Holy Spirit. Um, then I also had this book on your right, Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God. That's the popular version. Uh, it's more readable. It's not a thousand pages. It's like 200 pages, and it's kind of the, an easier read if you're interested. I highly recommend, I would go for the thousand page one, but that's just me. I realize not everyone's a geek like me, and so there's the other one if you want. I've only, I haven't read the whole thing yet of the other one, but anyway. But it occurred to me when I read, read the first chapter of the big one, he's, ta he's talking about how so many translations get it wrong with the Holy Spirit. And he, 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 he shows that contextually, there are so many cases when it should be translated capital S, spirit, or the word, and, and he has all these things, the word spiritual should not be used because every, and I'm talking about this later, but every single time Paul uses the word that's translated spiritual, it has to do with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be talking about this more later. And it occurred to me, I'm like, I wonder if this guy helped translate the NIV, <laughs> So I look him up, and sure enough, he was on the committee that helped translate the 2011 NIV. I'm like, that makes so much sense. Because that's why there's so many more spirit scriptures. And he makes an amazing, it's like an overwhelming evidence that that's the way it should be. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that later today to tell you more what I'm talking about. But what, what my whole point in telling you this story is like God's timing is so amazing and how it's just like when the timing's right, right? Like I couldn't have planned this better than, than the timing of how he did this. But anyway, so, so this, has been a, this has been years really of journeying in this for me. Um, studying it, looking into it. Um, I, I probably am the, one of the biggest Gordon Fee fans you'll ever meet. I, I'm, I'm, I'll just say that. I listened to him. Like, he was a professor at Regent College, and you can buy <laughs> courses for, like, cheap there. And I've listened to, like, every single one of his courses. Like, he has courses on, like, different books of the Bible and stuff. He's amazing. So you're, you're, you're getting Gordon, really, because obviously he's influenced me a lot. You're getting Gordon Fee by listening to me, inevitably. Uh, just like you're getting a whole bunch of people who've influenced me. But anyway... So what I want to talk about today is the quest for biblical spirituality. And notice I have spirit there in yellow for a reason, and you're going to see why. But I kind of already talked about this. What is spirituality, right? And I made the point, if I asked you guys what it is, we'd probably get 50 different answers. This is because the word spirituality, which has its origins on reflecting on the Spirit of God, it has to do with the Holy Spirit. You'll see that in a bit. The life of God in midst has been taken over and has been shipwrecked. This word is a complete mess now. Our culture's butchered it. And like I said, because it can mean anything, it means nothing. And therefore, it's totally misleading when you use this word in the New Testament, which we're going to talk about later. Okay? So we no longer see the spirit, capital S, in spirituality, but we see a lot of spirituality all around us in our culture, right? We all know that. So... 
As Christians, this is what's awkward and maybe a little bit embarrassing for us. We're put in a position of affirming spirituality, but no one knows what the word means. Because <laughs> it can mean anything you want it to mean, right? So as Christians, we have to affirm this idea of spirituality, but what does it even mean? What, another way to say, what's biblical spirituality, okay? Not what the culture, how the culture defines it. What's, what's biblical spirituality? So I, I have this here. I was listening to Eugene Peterson. He's, if you guys don't know who that is, he's the guy who wrote the message. That's what he's most famous for. But he was also a professor at Regent. And I was listening to one of his courses recently on biblical spirituality. But it's funny, he, tell, he tells this story about, this is back in the 90s, I guess, how he got one of, his, one of his students went to the library and looked up spirituality. He found 800 entries. So like the spirituality of archery, the spirituality of cooking, the spirituality of surfing, not one reference to biblical spirituality out of 800 that he found. That's problematic, isn't it? <laughs> like, the spirituality of cooking, and there isn't one about the Bible. Like, that's horrible, okay? In my opinion, maybe it's not that horrible, but I think it is. So then the question becomes, what is biblical spirituality? And what I want to talk about today is putting the spirit, capital S, back in spirituality. Because that's what spirit, biblical spirituality is all about. Okay, so what I'm going to talk about is the word spirit and spirituality today. That's why today's a little bit of a different uh, uh, message, you'll see. But hopefully we're all on board by the end. Okay, so the word spirit, this is so important. The word spirit in the Bible primarily is always referring to God's spirit. Okay, and I'm going to show you this later, but we see the one we, and we should keep this in mind whenever we see the word spirit, regardless of whether it's capital S or small s, more often than not, unless, the only exception usually is if it's referring to the human spirit, it has to do with the Holy Spirit. So, so we need to know we're mostly dealing with God's spirit. Okay, and this is bedrock. This is foundational to know this. Okay, so if you can keep, I'm talking about, this is one of the, you know, take-home messages, really. These words, spirit and spiritual, primarily is having to do with God, then we're going to save ourselves a lot of trouble. Now, I already mentioned this book by Gordon Fee, God, how he demonstrates this, and he goes through every single text that has to do with spirit and spiritual in Paul's letters, and the evidence is overwhelming when you actually look at it. This term is not about us, it's about God, and we've made it about us. We've made it completely about us. And we're a product of the Enlightenment, which has uh, brought in individualism to the nth degree, which has totally influenced the way we read the Bible. Like, for instance, Philippi you know that scripture in Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you read that individually? Let's be honest. Like I always did. Did you know the word you is plural there? He's talking about the community working out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And the context shows that too. The point is we have, we, we're so individualistic, we make everything about us. And so this shows in how it's translated, small s. It's about me personally. Okay? But, but the original is about God. So in our common speech, spiritual and spirituality is most about us. And we have it backwards. That's not the case. Okay, so this use of language leads people astray from the biblical meaning of spirit and spirituality. And this even shows in the way many English translations have handled these texts where the Holy Spirit's clearly in view. 
And like I said, if you're interested, read that thousand page book. What you're getting is my kind of some, some parts of that book, okay? Um, but if you want to go deeper in it, I highly recommend it. But anyway, the tendency in our English translations is to translate the word spirit with a small s. And, and um, the reason I'm saying that is don't take my word for it. Like this is coming from a really world-renowned New Testament scholar, okay? So I'm just giving you what he says. Argue with him, not me. So anyway, Gordon Fee shows that the vast majority, the vast majority of instances of spirit should not be translated with a small s, okay? And that the word spiritual is even more problematic. I have this quote of his. You use the word spiritual with a small s, and I can assure you that you will miss Paul by a thousand leagues, and yet most Christians think that way without considering what Paul means at all. So what I want to show you is putting the spirit back in spirituality, Okay, and I'm going to show you this biblically in a bit. But before I go there, now this gets a little technical. And you're going to notice I repeat myself a lot, and that, that's partly intentional. Um, and I hope this becomes understandable. It, it doesn't have to be, uh, uh, like, out there. But you'll see this is more technical than usual because it's important. We have, to talk, we have to talk about what the original words are, okay? So the adjective pneumatikos is often translated with a small s spiritual in English translations. Whenever you see the word spiritual, that's usually the word in the original. But unfortunately, like I said earlier, the word spiritual is filled with so many nuances that can mislead people. And see, why this matters is, of course, translations, any translation has to do with what Paul originally or other authors originally intended, right? And so... If you use a word that has all these connotations that, that meant nothing to Paul, like what's we, how we define spiritual, how many know that can lead you astray, right? So that's why it's so important to know, okay, what was Paul's original intention and meaning? So just so you guys know, the word for spirit in Greek is pneuma, pneuma, but I say pneuma, and that's up to the translator whether they're going to translate that capital S with the spirit or small s spirit. Now, this is, this is important. When you form an adjective from a word in Greek, one of the ways of doing this is putting the ending ekos at the end of it. So, hence, pneumatikos. That makes it an adjective. Another example is bodily, is somatikos, which is an adjective for body, soma. Okay? Hope you're tracking with me. When this ending occurs, ekos, it's an adjective, which means it's belonging to or pertaining to whatever the noun is. Why is this important? Pneumatikos is an adjective for the Holy Spirit in Paul's letters every single time. Every single time when you see the word spiritual, it's an adjective for the capital S Holy Spirit. But almost every, lots of translations do the small s spiritual which can lead people astray, right? Okay, so what that means is it refers to that which belongs to or pertains to the Holy Spirit. Okay, like I said, it functions primarily as an adjective for the Spirit. So, so let me give you an example. But if in, in English, like in the translation, if, you, if I was to say you are spiritual, singular, it would be better to say you are a capital S spirit person or a person who belongs or lives by the Spirit, a person who belongs to the Spirit, right? It's an adjective pertaining to the Spirit, okay? Plural would be like spirit people, or you, plural, uh, are people who belong to the Spirit. 
Now, this is where Paul, pneumatikos is a word that's almost completely unique to Paul in the Bible. Okay? 24 out of the 26 times it's in the Bible, it's used in Paul. The only exception is in 1 Peter 2.15 where he talks about a spiritual building, and our spiritual house and spiritual offerings. So the crucial point that I'm trying to make, the earliest instance of this word in Greek is in Paul. Nowhere in the Greek world do you find this word before Paul the Apostle. So in other words... He probably coined it or invented it, and he definitely invented it, what it means in the Bible. Okay? Other instances when you find this in Greek, it always means, which is really rare, it always means an adjective for wind, not spirit, for wind. Okay? Because pneuma is also the word for wind in Greek. It's the same with Hebrew, ruach, wind, spirit, same thing. Okay? So... John, if you don't read the original Greek, John plays on this. Just to give you an idea. I have wind highlighted and spirit highlighted. Both of them are the same word, pneuma. But he has word plays that we don't see in English. So this is John 3.9. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. Same word, pneuma, okay? So... Like I said, this adjective doesn't occur, occur earlier than Paul, but they, it does occur two or three decades later in Plutarch, and it means airy. So another Greek uh, secular writer uses, but like I said, it's always doing with wind, an adjective pertaining to the wind, uh, or windy. It means the air is moving or belongs to the air. Now, this is important. It is never used anywhere in Greek, in the Greek world, as an adjective for the human spirit. Ever, anywhere, never, period, ever. (laughs) Yet, almost every time it occurs in the English translations, small s, spiritual, implying it has to do with the human spirit. Never in Greek is it ever used that way, ever. That's important to know, right? Right? It is never used in the Greek world as an adjective in contrast to the material world or secular or whatever else. Never. And this is crucial in reading the New Testament. Okay, right? Like I said, if we, if we read it as spiritual and it's like that has to do with the human spirit, we're totally missing it. Like, like I read you that quote, by a thousand leagues, because it's always dealing with the capital S Holy Spirit. So the point is that pneumatikos is an adjective that was essentially probably invented by Paul, but definitely for the purposes of his writing in the New Testament. And it means having to do with the Holy Spirit every time. So the moment we translate this word as small s spiritual with a lowercase s, we're headed for trouble because we're going to miss it, right? We're going we're to project our definition of spiritual on what Paul actually meant, which is dealing with the Holy Spirit. And, and if you think about it, there's 26 times this occurs in the Bible. That means 26 verses we're going to misread probably, right? If we, if we use those small s spiritual and think about it as something personal. 26 times. Now, this is just with that adjective. I'm going to talk about the word pneuma later. But, but let me just, just, like I said, I'm going to repeat myself in different ways. When Paul uses the term pneumatikos, he does not intend a contrast of inner physical with outer material, for sure. Like how often we, we 
define it. Spiritual does not mean something inner or immaterial. It doesn't. Ever. In Paul. He does not mean religious. Such a, such, so-and-so is such a spiritual person. You hear that, right? Paul does not mean that, for sure. Okay? He does not mean spiritual versus secular, which is another way you hear spiritual, right? Or spiritual over against the material world. In other words, he wouldn't understand the New Age use of the word spiritual. Because he, 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 that's not how he's using it, the way that the New Age movement is, or a lot of people in our culture are. Okay. Because of its connotations, I already said this, the word spiritual can be quite misleading. I have another quote here. Perhaps as much as anything else, it is this tampering with Paul by using a word that is thoroughly filled with Greek ideas foreign to Paul that has helped us miss the Pauline perspective of his understanding of the Holy Spirit. This is an important thing. Remember, like I've talked about this before, but how marginalized the Holy Spirit is in the church for centuries, right? We, we give lip service to the doctrine and theology, but... Like, where is he in the church? We often marginalize. He's at a safe distance. It's it's even showing in our language, in in other words. And think about how much we're missing if we don't know this is the case. Like I said, just with this word, 26 potential verses that have to do with the Holy Spirit that aren't in a lot of English translations. Okay, so let me give you some scriptural examples of putting spirit back in spirituality, okay? I'm going to show you some contrasts. So I already showed you Colossians 1.9. Uh, This is from the NRSV. It's just another version of the Bible. But I showed this earlier, spiritual wisdom and understanding, right? Now, contextually, oh, can you go to the next slide? Sorry. Paul uses this adjective and picks up the, see, you have to understand, Paul is actually referencing an Old Testament scripture. He's referencing Isaiah 11:2, which has to do with the Holy Spirit completely 100%. It's the messianic prophecy where it's talking about the Messiah and the spirit of the Lord is going to be on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, capital S spirit. Paul's referencing that in his prayer. So he's for sure talking about the Holy Spirit, capital S spirit. Yet lots of translations translate it small s spiritual, wisdom and understanding. Which, at least in my experience, I wouldn't have thought a Holy Spirit because I didn't when I would read that, right? So he doesn't mean this small, like, just think about it. What the heck? I said this earlier, but what is spiritual wisdom anyway? Right? <laughs> I, whenever I'd read that, I'm like, what does that even mean? Like some, like, esoteric thing that elitist Christians get, right? If they're in the knowing or something? No, it's just simply the wisdom and understanding that the Holy Spirit gives you. Okay, so um, I have Isaiah uh, eleven two there. Just so you know what verse he's, he's referencing, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. You see that in yellow there. So the point is simple. I already said this. Paul's just simply praying that the spirit's wisdom and understanding would be imparted to people. Okay, and this is the same one be, point being made in Ephesians 1.17 prayer, which I'm going to talk about later. It's the same thing. He's referencing Isaiah 11 too. The problem is a lot of translations translate that small s spirit of wisdom and understanding. But more on that later. Right now we're focusing on spiritual. So this is the NIV. I already showed you this. The wisdom and understanding that the capital S spirit gives. Oh, next slide. Sorry. (laughs) You see that in yellow. Okay. So that's just one example. I'm going to just show you a few more. 
We're like, okay, so here's, here's a couple of verses. They say similar things in a different way. This is Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing others in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Ephesians 5.19, similar. He says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay, look at how the NIV now translates it. Because remember, it's the same adjective. An adjective pertaining to the Holy Spirit. So it says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly and teach and admonish another, one another with all wisdom and psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Spirit, Holy Spirit inspired songs. Like what are spiritual songs? In our culture, they're old African American songs from the 1900s. Spirit songs. You guys know the spirituals? Anyway, they're good songs. But the point is, you don't think a Holy Spirit usually, do you? But this is just saying the Holy Spirit inspired songs. And that's important because that's a huge ministry in the church is spirit inspired songs. That we're supposed to do that in worship. Now in Ephesians 5.19, look what verse comes right before it. You know contextually, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So contextually, it's clear that he's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? Here's another one. Romans 1.11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. And what he's talking about here is a gift of the Spirit, right? Capital S, Spirit. Ephesians 1.3, praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Like, what does spiritual blessing mean? You know what I mean? Like, it's some abstract spiritual thing? No. It's just simply spiritual blessings are referred to blessings that come from life in the Spirit. And here's the Amplified Version, how it, how it shows this clearly. It says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual, in brackets, given by the Holy Spirit, blessing in the heavenly realm. And again, this is all using that adjective, pneumatikos. So we know it has to do with the Holy Spirit. Um, this portion of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 3, 1 this is a whole portion of scripture. I'm just going to give you one example. But Paul refers to believers as pneumatikos. We are actually, as Christians, considered people of the spirit. Spirit people. That's what he calls the Corinthians. But often it's translated spiritual. You who are spiritual, right? But what Paul clearly intends is people of the spirit, or pe uh, spirit people. In every instance when he says this. So here's just one example. 1 Corinthians 2.15, this is the New King James. It says, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Like, what does that mean? Is it some, like, elitist Christian, you who are spiritual, you know? No, he's just simply referring to if you're a believer, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you're a spirit person, then you judge all things. So then IV says, says it, the person with the spirit makes judgment about all things, right? It's pretty simple. When you know that. Uh, here's another one. Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves lest you also be tempted. Like, I always read that. I'm like, what does that mean, you who are spiritual? And how do you know if you're spiritual? Like, oh, I'm spiritual, so I'll restore that person. You know, like some elitist Christian? No. It's, it's just simple. Look at the NIV. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit 
should restore that person gently, but watch yourself so you also, or you also might be tempted. And the context demands that. The whole context from Galatians 5.13 to 6.10 is about life in the Spirit. Right? And, and two verses before that, he says, Since you live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Then he says, Let's not be conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And then this, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in sin. In other words, yeah, one of you might fall. But if that happens, then you, the rest of the community, the rest of the believers, help restore that person. Okay, so spirituality versus spirituality. <laughs> I'm going to kind of summarize just this word. The word, and again, I'm repeating myself for a reason. The word spiritual has become a term that's only about us in our culture. Individualistic. Individual, right? I'm spiritual, you're spiritual, whatever. Yet the word or adjective spiritual in the Bible has nothing to do with us at all, period. It has to do with the Spirit of God. To the extent that we belong to the Spirit, it has to do with us, but it has nothing to do with us individually, our, our individual spirits or whatever, our inner life or whatever. Knowing this is important because it develops a discernment in how you understand the word when you come across it. So that's why I'm spending time in this. Um, I'm a huge advocate in reading different translations. Don't get me wrong. You might see me advertising NIV, which I kind of am for this word. So if you ever come across that word, more often than not, if you want to see how it might be written with the capital S, check out the NIV. But this goes with anything. It's good to check out other translations because there's a lot of biases. There's a lot of different ways of perceiving things, a lot of ways of trying to interpret what Paul intends. And so that's just a good practice in general. But if you have a translation where you see small s spiritual or small s spirit, then that might be an indication, oh, this, is this really talking about that or is it talking about the Holy Spirit? Okay? And it also brings into question some of the common understandings of the word spirit or spiritual. I love, this is, <laughs> I got, actually, I was listening to Eugene Peterson, and he just did this, bam, bam, bam. So some common understandings of the word spirit or spiritual. If spirit or spiritual is used in contrast to the secular or mundane, that's wrong. That's not what Paul means. I'm talking about the biblical term now. If spirit or spiritual is used to contrast to material or corporal, that's wrong. Like your body versus spirit. If it refers to something mystical or esoteric that just a few people have, that's wrong. If, next slide, it's used to pertain to the inner life of the believer, that's wrong. If it's used to refer to some deeper life or super life, like sometimes you hear the language spiritual Christian versus carnal Christian, that's wrong. Spiritual has to do with God's spirit. God's spirit entering our lives and doing his work in us. So if we're going to use this word spiritual, we have to continually rethink and reimagine to re-enter the text of the Bible to keep getting this primary sense of God's spirit, God's action, God's presence, and God's life. Because that's what that word means. And like I said, check out other translations. If you, if you see that word spiritual, oh, what, what might this mean? And it might not be translated in other versions, but it could be. And that might give you an idea, oh, this is actually about the Holy Spirit. Okay, another thing I want to address is this capital S spirit or small s spirit, which is another thing similar to what I just taught, but a little different, because it is, there are instances when you should use small s spirit, but those instances are when you're referring to the human spirit. Almost every other time it should be capital S spirit in the Bible. 
So whenever you see that word pneuma, it's primarily most of the time, vast majority of the time, referring to God's capital S spirit. Now there's this tendency in English translations to translate the word spirit with a small s, right? Pneuma with a small s spirit. However, most of the time, like I said, pneuma is referring to God. And it shouldn't be translated this way. Let me give you an example. 2 Timothy 1.7, for this reason I remind you to rekindle, look at this, the gift of God. Clearly he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the gift of God that was within you through the laying on of my hands. For, for this reason, for, God has not given us a small s spirit of cowardice, but rather a small s spirit of power and love and a self-discipline. What in the world is a spirit of cowardice or a spirit of love or whatever, right? It, it's, impl- it's translating the Holy Spirit out. It's a, it has this implication that we're dealing with some kind of attitude or something, which it's clearly not. The context demands, he's talking about the capital S Holy Spirit, right? So here's a paraphrase. Paul's saying you're fanned into flame the gift of God for in giving us the spirit, capital S spirit, it was not timidity or cowardice we experienced, but power and love and sound mindedness. It has to do with the spirit of God. The effect of having the spirit of God. And like I already said, translation has to do with what Paul intends. And, and right, <laughs> Paul's point is not that you have some kind of small s spirit of something, like some kind of fat, fuzzy attitude of love. No way. He's saying, so by translating this way, you're translating out the Holy Spirit, and that's problematic, right? Because if it's about the Holy Spirit, you're missing some important information. This is what part of the Holy Spirit's ministry, or whatever, Okay? So Paul was, Paul was not talking about a small spirit. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. So here's the NIV. Okay, so for this reason, I remind you to fan and flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the capitalist spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and a self-discipline. And you just think, just think about, I'll talk about that in a minute. Here's another one. I just have a few of these. I, I took some out because there's a lot, but... I wanted to give you different examples. So Romans uh, 8, 14 through 16, this is an NRSV. For all who, look at the context, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. But then look what it says. For you did not receive a small s spirit of slavery to fall back in fear, but you received a small s spirit of adoption. What is a spirit of adoption? <laughs> Like, you just think about it logically in English. What in the world would that mean? A small s spirit of adoption? Right? He's clearly, and then right after it says, we cry out, Abba, Father, is the very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of God. The context makes it absolutely clear. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here, right? So here's, again, the NIV NIV translating. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit, capital S, you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Ephesians 1.17. And this is, remember we talked about Colossians 1.9 prayer. This is another prayer. And you know why this is important? This is how Paul the Apostle prayed. He's always praying for the Holy Spirit. Most of the apostolic prayers, you know, Jesus says, if you're here a few weeks ago, when I talked about Luke 11, in his teaching and prayer, how does he end verse 13? If you are evil, know how to give good gifts. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is clearly saying, in our prayer life, we need to be asking about the Holy, for the Holy Spirit. Why else would he say that in the teaching and prayer? And then Paul, he obviously got this. 
Because in three of the major apostolic prayers, he starts his prayer by praying for the Holy Spirit. Getting a little ahead of myself, but look at, this is how the NRSV translated. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a small s spirit of wisdom and revelation. Like, what is a spirit of wisdom? You know, you just think about it in English, like, what would that even mean if you thought about it? A spirit of wisdom. Like, you might be able to come up with some kind of idea, but, you know, like, just a few verses earlier this, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the seal of our redemption. The context makes it clear he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And again, he's referencing Isaiah 11 too. But here's, here's uh, the NIV. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the, capital S, spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know him better. Again, like you see, you might be like, what's the big deal? We're translating out the Holy Spirit if we do small s, and it's misleading people. That's why we should care about this. And the reason I'm talking about this now is because the series we're talking about is about the Holy Spirit, right? And so there'll be times when I talk, give verses, you might be like, wait, my translation doesn't say that, but it could be, it could be because it's mistranslated or it's misleading because it's saying small s spiritual or whatever. Here's another one, if Galatians 6.1. I talked about this one already, but I want to emphasize a different part of it now. This is from the NRSV. My friends, if anyone's detected in a transgression, you ever, fortunately, this version translates spiritual properly. You've received the capital S spirit. But look at this. Should you restore one in a small s spirit of gentleness? Now, this one's more understandable because we could think of what an attitude of gentleness means, right? Like the NIV actually takes out the word spirit and just says gently. Restore such a one gently. Now, the thing is, the context demands that this isn't how you should translate it. If you read from Galatians 5, 13 to 6, 10, the whole argument hinges on the fact that we don't do the works of the flesh because we walk by the Spirit. And one of the words among the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. He just finishes talking about that. Okay, capital S Spirit produces this fruit, gentleness in you. This is just a few verses after that. Right, and I just have, oh, I have this here if you want to read the context. And then he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And then two verses later, he says this. So, so Galatians 6, 1, he doesn't mean that you're restoring such a person with an attitude of gentleness, but that you're to restore such a person by the Spirit's fruit of gentleness, capital S, Spirit of gentleness. The con- I already said that, but the context demands it's a capital S Spirit in this case. So the point is that when Paul says the spirit of gentleness, it should be capital S, meaning the spirit who brings gentleness. And the key lies in the gifting and fruit of the spirit. It's dealing with relationship and the Holy Spirit producing God's character in us. That's what the Christian walk's all about. Last but not least, on the spirit one, this this (laughs) 1 Corinthians 14 do. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. In the old NIV, it says he utters mysteries with his spirit. Small s. And you know what's funny about this one? This isn't funny, actually. It's kind of sad. Um, I heard someone who knows that this was evangelical prejudice. He knew that the people on the committee didn't want tongues to be a direct result of the Holy Spirit. So the committee chose with his spirit, meaning he initiating it, individual, right? That, what I'm saying is I know a scholar who knew that for a fact. And that's not uncommon. 
You know, I remember I heard Kenneth Hagin. He knew a Greek or a Hebrew scholar who was on the translation committee on the New King James Version, Isaiah 53. They knew that, he, that in one of the verses it was talking about sickness, right? That he took our infirmities or whatever it was. I don't remember exactly. And you know what? They're, the committee is like, we're not translating it that way because we don't want the healing ministers to have a heyday with this. So they knew that was the proper translation, but because of their prejudices against healing ministers, they're like, we're not going to do it. And, and I don't know if this is still the case. I remember looking this up. There's, they put a footnote instead with the real translation. So it's, they kept it how the old King James had it. They put a footnote. The, and the guy who, who was telling Kenneth Hagin this, the scholar, he said he quit the committee because of that. Because you signed something saying, to the best of your ability, you're going to translate this, how it should, right, to the best of your ability, how it should be. And they, he's, they knew that they weren't translating it right because of their prejudices. So that's another reason we have to read other translations. Like, we're humans. We have our biases. We have our, you know, prejudices. And we're, of course, we're going to take our theology to how we translate and how we interpret texts. Anyway... The context demands and makes it clear Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? For anyone, so this is the NIV. For anyone who speaks a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the capital S Spirit. So there's no way you should translate this small s. And everything in Pauline usage and context demands this. So conclusion. What's biblical spirituality then? Okay, I'm kind of going back full circle. What is biblical spirituality? Because we talked about how our terminology and our culture is leading people astray, potentially. So when we talk about spirituality, how should we do it? So this is just kind of a summary. The word pneumatikos is distinctly a Pauline word in the New Testament, and it has to do with the Holy Spirit as its primary referent, always. Paul never uses this adjective to refer to the human spirit, ever. Okay? It's not an adjective that sets some unseen reality in contrast to something material, secular, ritual, or tangible, all the ways that we often use this term spiritual in our culture. In the New Testament, therefore, spirituality is defined altogether in terms of the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ. Paul never uses his adjective to refer to the human spirit. And I've said that a couple times, but we need, we need to... What's that? It's gone. Oh, that's funny. So he never uses his adjective to refer to the human spirit. And it... Oh, yeah. I already said that. Okay. So apparently the PowerPoint's not working now, so just... You can just listen. <laughs> Spirituality is defined altogether in terms of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. Okay, one is, now listen, this is a definition now. One is spiritual to the degree that one lives in and walks by the Spirit. Capital S, Spirit. That's what makes you spiritual. In fact, most of the time when Paul's saying you who are spiritual, he's just saying you're a believer, you who are believers because you have the Holy Spirit. So in the scripture, the word has no other meaning than that. You who live or walk by the Spirit. So true biblical spirituality is nothing more or less than life in the Spirit. Galatians 5.25. Having been brought to life by the Spirit, let us behave in ways that are keeping with the Spirit. At spirituality. Okay? And then I'm going to just end on some verses here. Romans 8.14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit, spirituality. 
Galatians 5, 6, uh, 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Led by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 24, 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Spirituality, biblical spirituality. Has to do with relationship. And I talked about this if you were here when I talked about the lost and restoration of the presence of God. It's all about relationship. And God, the way we do it in the new covenant through Christ is through relationship with the Holy Spirit. And God uses the Holy Spirit, that relationship, to create his character in us and transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And to have that fellowship. So I'm going to just end on this verse. This is the benediction. But I want us to listen to this. So this is 2 Corinthians 3.14, talking about spirituality, talking about fellowship with the Lord. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Jesus' name, amen. So I realized that was kind of a technical thing. But I hope you understand the importance. Like we're saying, we're talking about life in the Spirit. And, it, and it's a tragedy if we're translating out the Holy Spirit and causing misunderstandings with using small s when it shouldn't be used. right? And so like I said, I hope from my story and from showing you this that as we pursue life in the Spirit, as we learn more about the Holy Spirit, that you'll keep this in mind. So that when you do read your Bible and you maybe see small s spirit or small s spiritual, that you'll look, and look it up or look other translations to see how you might read it differently if it's the case that it's about the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I'm going to pray for us and we'll go. So Father, we just thank you so much for how good you are, Lord. We thank you so much for the honor and privileges to have this relationship with you, Lord. And God, I just ask that you would continually reveal to us what true biblical spirituality is all about. That it's all about relationship with you by your spirit. That it's all about living the life of the spirit here in the present evil age, showing people what heaven's like. That it's all about being spirit people. Walking by the spirit, being led by the spirit, keeping in step with the spirit. Flowing in the spirit. Singing songs of the spirit. That we'd have a greater revelation in our lives of what that amazing relationship looks like. That we'd be ever cognizant of your spirit in our lives and the moving of your spirit. And that we just grow deeper and deeper in fellowship with your Holy Spirit. And that through that relationship, that as you say, that as we contemplate the Lord's glory, that we'll be transformed from glory to glory with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18. So God, we, I just ask that uh, as we continue in this journey in life in the spirit, that you continue to reveal to us how amazing this relationship with you through your spirit can be and how it, how it is, how it looks like in a community of faith. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Amen.